that will develop into a mental illness because that's they start believing the words the bully is telling them. Mm-hmm. And that's when, right, the self-harm can begin. And the eating disorders, or the depression or the anxiety, they all go hand in hand. And... Hello, I am Joel Ingram, and this is Crisis to Crushing It Podcast. Let's dive into this week's talk. And I'll help to increase perspective, expand perception, and allow you to change your reality. Enjoy the show. Today I have with me Tracy Maxfield, who uh, we've connected on, on LinkedIn after following uh, several of your posts. Welcome to the show, Tracy. Would you be willing Thank to tell you. my uh, audience a little bit about yourself, please? Okay, so let's see. Um, born in Wales. I always wanted to become a nurse, did my nurse training in Morriston Hospital, uh-huh. moved to Canada in 1987 on my own, um, and I've been in Canada ever since. Uh, worked as a nurse, primarily um, palliative care, gerontology, dementia care, um, got married, got divorced. Um, I think in my book it says, I gained weight, I lost weight. <laughs> <laughs> Grew my hair long, cut it short, um, but always started, always continued um, nursing and just loved nursing. And then in about 2011, I started a new position, extremely stressful. Um, at the time, I was going through other life stresses. Um, dog died unexpectedly. Marriage suddenly fell apart. Anyway, um, that combined with the workplace bullying that I was going through, ultimately in August 2015, I, quote, fell down the rabbit hole. That's what I likened it to. And I had a massive nervous breakdown, or what my, my doctor called an acute depressive episode. And this depression, I'd had two previous episodes of depression, probably anywhere from 10 to 15 years apart. And I was told at that time it was a genetic depression and so certainly the likelihood of having another episode um, was on the horizon but this depression was so bad that I even I didn't even identify that it was depression I thought I'd also had a stroke because I had so many physical symptoms and just tremendous pain and on the third day after I fell down the rabbit hole on a Saturday night I actually um, counted out 44 pills um, here in Canada, they're called Tylenol or acetaminophen. I think you're more familiar with paracetamol. Okay. Same thing. And just as I was about to pop the first pill, I just heard this voice coming like into, into my left ear, and I said, run. And I ran. I ran downstairs. I grabbed my purse, threw on, threw on my flip-flops, and jumped in the car. It was a Saturday night, 8 o'clock. There was nowhere to go except Walmart. So I just, I just wandered around Walmart. I looked an absolute mess. Like this is three days of just crying and just self persecution, everything. And when I was stable enough, I felt okay. You're strong enough. Let's go home. Put the pills back in the container. Went to see the doctor on Monday, and so began my journey. Um, ultimately, it led me writing my book, Escaping the Rabbit Hole: My Journey Through Depression. For many reasons, primarily it was because this depression was so different and harsh and took such a long time to get through. Um, I felt I was the only one. 
And I didn't want anyone else to go through what I went through and feel like they're alone. I also wanted it to be um, a helpful tool, not only for others who want to know about depression, but for those looking after someone who has depression to understand what's going on in their world and that they're not being defiant or lazy or difficult, that, you know, it is a very serious issue and it takes a lot of time and compassion and understanding to help them get through it. Um, and so releasing the book a year ago, last April, April 13th, uh, 2018, I was approached to go to a local school and talk about how I used imagery in the book. Like there's an episode where I likened my brain to an erupting volcano and the lava um, coming down. And the teacher felt it would be good for the 15-year-olds to understand how you can use imagery and apply it to feelings and emotions to help them uh, write better essays, really. Except when I got over there, um, they really wanted to talk about the rabbit hole and how I had escaped. And that's where things kind of took off. Two weeks later, I returned for an eight-hour all-day human library. I was supposed to be there to give 30-minute sessions to students who had signed up in advance about being a first-time author and publishing a book. And what happened was when the very first group sat down at 8.30 in the morning, I started talking about how to write a book. And they, were, you know what kids are like, right? These were like 11 to 15 years old. They're all starting to look at each other and nudging and kind of doing aside whispers. And I stopped and I said, you seem confused. Um, are you in the wrong class? And they're like, no, we signed up for your class. And I said, okay, um, can you tell me why you signed up for my class? Just listen to me. And they said, we've heard about you. We not, we want to talk to you. You're the lady that escaped the rabbit hole. Oh, wow. And so it began. Every single group, ranging from six to ten students, every 30 minutes, all day, um, sat down and shared with me what was happening to them, um, friends or family they knew. Um, I had a 15-year-old girl at the end of one session, come up to me and um, lift her sleeves and show me all the cutting that she had done on her arms and then whispered in my ear that she had just come home from hospital after a second suicide attempt. Fifteen, two suicide attempts. And then the, I would say, the catalyst that really propelled me to what I'm doing now was a 13-year-old boy towards the end of the day um, was you could see in the class he was very withdrawn. He didn't ask any questions, but after he came up to me and he was so embarrassed and he was stuttering an awful lot, and he said, "Can I can I come and talk to you?" And I said, "Of course you can. What's wrong?" And he fell into my shoulder, oh, my sobbing his heart out, and said, "I've been in the rabbit hole for seven years. When will I get out?" And that was it. I spent a lot of time with him, but I drove home. I sobbed my eyes out driving. I, I looked, I went to Google as soon as I got home and I thought, this can't be it. This has just got to be this school. There's something wrong with this school. Like I had 63 teenagers come and tell me their personal stories. Mm -hmm. 63. And that was just those that had signed up for the class, you know? And so when I did the research, I absolutely could not believe, you know, one in five. 
children and teenagers have a mental illness. Mm. And it was like, okay, that's it. My platform is changing. When I'm promoting my book, I'm now going to focus solely on mental illness, bullying, suicide in children and teenagers. And here I am. <laughs> you are. Yeah, indeed. No, that's, that's very concerning. But also, like you, you put a post out the other day, um, and it, it, it flew, I can't remember what the content was, but it, it made me numb. Is that the one where children as young as five are committing suicide? Yeah. Yeah. That yes. one. And I didn't realize how much that would resonate, but it's up to 8,000 views and 50 shares. That's, isn't it? And, and that is, that is new. This is global. It's in UK as well. This is new statistics that was just released. Children, it's the ages from five to 24. It's now the second leading cause of death. And it just boggles my mind. Five-year-olds are committing suicide. Yes, they are. I know. I, I know of a six-year-old that, that commit, that, um, used suicide to end his life two weeks ago. Six years old. It's, when did kids stop being kids? You know, what, what, and that's, and that's it. It's like, it's, this is a huge societal problem and we can't blame the parents and we can't blame the teachers and the schools. We're all in this together and it takes a village to raise a child. We need to step up and start supporting these kids because they are lost. They have no compass. They have no direction. We're treating them like adults and yet we've never sat down and told them how they're supposed to be as an adult oh, it's, it's 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 sad beyond words yeah no something you just said then resonated with me was it takes a village to raise a child mm -hmm. i've been reading a book um about fatherhood and how in the old days we used to go out to the fields with our you know pre-industrial pre age, we go out mm -hmm. hunting or whatever and gathering and our, our fathers, our uncles, our brothers, their, their uncles, brothers would all sort of guide us and point us to the direction mm -hmm. we're supposed to be going. And then it seems to be this shift as, as, as time goes on where the industrial age takes over and all the fathers go to the factories and some of the mothers, obviously. And they send, it seems to be that, that loss of direction and the, the handing over of manly uh, what's it called? Um, boy, to, you know, boy to man type transitions yeah. is 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 a failure in society. It's like you said, it's systemic. It's, it's some something is seriously wrong. Um, I can I can resonate with an aspect of that myself. Is I'm 43 years old, and up until I was about yeah, about four years ago, I was treating life like everything was unfair. When what I've come to realize with me was I had a massive victim mindset going on um, and I had massive expectations. They shouldn't be doing this. I wondered how I got to 40 and felt so disempowered. This yeah. is, it sort of boggles your brain that you can go all the way through schooling and a job and a mortgage yes. and kids, yes. <laughs> you know, and then you're raising kids. It's, 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 it's incredible. What do, what, what do you think is, you know, I mean, what's, what do you, what, what are you, cause obviously you're digging and researching and talking to people. So what, what seems to be coming to the surface for, uh, I, I don't know if root cause is the right word or, you know, what, what's, 
So I don't think there's a root cause. I think what we're beginning to realize is, first of all, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the acronym ACEs, Adverse Childhood Events. So here in um, the USA and Canada, it's a score that you give kids throughout their school years and teenagers. And what they have found is that adverse childhood events, so if a parent dies or leaves you, or a pet dies, or a friend dies, or any family member, or maybe um, dad is in prison, or has a mental illness, or someone has attempted suicide, or you've witnessed a crime, you know, all these traumatic experiences. Children are being exposed to them much more than ever before. And we've got the media to blame for that because everything is on every single, you know, doesn't matter if you're on YouTube, Facebook, TV, radio, we're exposed to that all the time. Exposed to it and we hear and see it, but the kids, I mean, it, for example, in Britain, right now, you've got a stabbing problem, right? People just being randomly stabbed on the streets. I mean, a kid who witnesses that, um, how traumatic or knows someone. And so they, because of the way society has changed so much, and I think we've become a very entitled and materialistic society where we expect that why can't we keep up with the Joneses, right? And instead of looking at what we have and appreciating what life has given us today and make the best of it, it's always like we're reaching out for something bigger and better. And that those values are instilled in our kids. And so, you know, oh, well, Joey's got the new iPod. I want it. Yeah, well, Joey's 10 and you're four, but I want it, mom. Okay, fine. Here you go. Right. I mean, it's and I don't think parents even understood the implications of over spoiling our children. I mean, I'm 55. I remember at Christmas writing a list because there would be special things that we wanted at Christmas. Mm. Now, I can go and ask my nephews what you want for Christmas. They have everything. And they don't want nothing. Right? They have everything. And so it, that itself gives you an idea. Um, so I think it's, we have brought the kids up where social media has become a babysitter, hmm. where the, the expectations, right, of what it is to be a boy, a man, what it is to be a girl. When we see the Kim Kardashians of the world all over social media, girls want to emulate them. Hmm. And it's an impossible task. It's impossible, right, because she is a creation. <laughs> and she's a marketing tool. And the kids don't see that, you know, they think if they can get, you know, if they can get their boobs and their butt and, you know, prettier and eyelashes and, and the boys are the same, right? They, you know, they, they all, and we all had idols, but we never went to that extent because, you know, it was in my days, it was the Bay City Rollers and Yes, we want, you know, we wanted to be part of the band and we wanted to follow them. But because they weren't out on social media and their lives weren't an open um, storybook, for want of a better word, um, you know, there was that little bit of an enigma, but also there was not that constant, you know, faces telling you what they're doing and they're undergoing some change. We're bombarding our kids with so many visual messages of what we think is perfection in society. Mm. And so they struggled 
right to emulate that but also if they have early childhood traumas that changes the brain's chemistry and that kind of festers there they they've now proven that if you endure childhood abuse your brain changed and so you are 75% more susceptible to developing a mental illness in your lifetime and it will be a serious one i mean if 50% of all lifetime mental illnesses show signs and symptoms in kids by age 14 how many kids are walking around with a mental illness brewing add on to that societal pressures add on to that childhood traumatic events you may be grown up in an abusive home you may not be abused yourself but maybe mum is being hit by dad or maybe dad's run off right so you got all that and you still want to belong and then add into the equation the pressures at school academic pressures in school globally are so astronomical they 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 not even get into the basics of teaching kids how to read write and learn values you know volunteering compassion support understanding we're not instilling values in them mm. and and so their values they derive from either what their peers are doing or what they see on social media i mean and video games i mean come on two boys in britain nailed a plank into the head of a 9-year-old boy with autism because they saw it on a video game and wondered what it would be like at what point did these boys not realize a it was wrong but b a nail going into a head is going to inflict horrible pain but when you it's fine if your parents if your family or whoever is your parental substitutes are going to um sit you down and watch video games and social media they sh- should have the responsibility to discuss it with you after and say you know you saw five people being killed but in real life the, the pain and the loss and you know p- they're not making that emotional connection you see someone shot in a movie oh okay well i saw him on another movie the following week while well, danny was not really dead yeah if you don't explain that how how do they not understand and so it's i mean it's society we as a nation have have imposed all these uh, expectations on our kids and yet we've just let them not run wild but we we've we've more or less put these values and these expectations on kids but we've never actually sat down in any role and said but this is how you do it yes you're going to feel angry yes you're going to have emotions this is how you manage your stress don't go and bully the person as an outlet don't go and start smoking or drinking yeah right it's it, it's like kids don't understand um what's right and wrong anymore what's morally wrong right what it's that there is no sense of that because they're not being taught it but it's not being followed through you can teach it in one area but you have to you have to uphold those values and live it and so it's it's a huge conflict for a child who's taught maybe values at school and then goes home on a dad who beats the living daylights out of him yeah how do you deal with that how do you deal with the pain and the anguish and the horror 
and then you see your friends at school having the time of their life and they have a dad that takes them everywhere and you you don't have an outlet to express yourself because no one's listening what how do you manage as a child what do you do to try and get rid of the pain and the and the horror and the sorrow that you live in i know it's um well yeah obviously i, I got no answers i mean i i struggled with um understanding that there's a, emotions can be processed they're not they're neither good nor bad they just are it's, exactly you know it's just and, and like i said i've only come to this this decision a few years ago where you you got you have got a choice in them and like i said they're neither good nor bad but it's when we attach to the to the like oh, that you know feeling unhappy is bad it's got a negative connotation whereas if you understand that life is like a sine wave, you're going to have your ups and your downs. You know, we just, we just ride them. Um, but then I, I don't, I don't, I don't know if they're taught that in school. I mean, my, my boy's school is particularly good on discipline. Uh, and we moved him to that school because it was good on discipline and they've been very proactive with, um, with, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> How is that for life? Nothing <laughs> 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 wrong with that. Shows it's genuine. <laughs> anyway, but, but yes, it's, it's, I mean, and discipline is good. Yeah. I mean, discipline is good as long as the explanation is there behind why the discipline was necessary. Yeah, I think they do. We when he comes home and tells us stuff. Which that's that's another aspect. If we ask him, you know, how's your day been? Oh my gosh! <laughs> if it's urgent, you can take it. No, it's not <laughs> urgent. It really isn't. There, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's important, isn't it? Because they they need to understand the why. I mean, our youngest is homeschooled, so everything is backed up with the reason. If if you just say don't do that. He, he almost asks why he's, he's giving you the guidance you know i i want more understanding tell me absolutely you know? it's if you can't do not say don't do that but why i'm just telling you don't do that it's, that that irritates me because because you are then not explaining to your child and so they don't understand kids want to learn they're open vessels and their brains are developing and I, I feel very strongly, and this is what, when I go and give talks and go on media, this is what I talk about. We need, from the moment our kids go to school, school needs to start educating them about mental health. We all have mental health. We need to look after our brains because our brains control everything. Without our brains, we're done. But negative emotions are normal, like pain, Anger, scared, fear, up, down, good, bad. It's all perfectly normal. If you didn't have the, that, those emotions, then there would be something wrong with you. They call it psychopathic. <laughs> and again, you don't get diagnosed really um, until you're about 18, 19, because again, you may show tendencies, but the brain is, is still developing. And so it's, you know, when you, when the old school is to boys, don't cry. 
Well, no, boys need to understand that crying is a normal outlet and it is nothing to do with manhood. It is expressed in an emotion. And if we started to support our kids and explain to them what are normal emotions and how to, you know, determine, okay, so I'm really mad. Why am I mad today? What has happened? Oh, well, um, I couldn't have the last cookie. Okay, but you can go and do this. So, and then redirect them to something positive. And again, it's even as adults, it's a learning experience. It took me a long time. But if we instill those values early on in kids, it becomes part of their nature. Mm. You know, why are you anxious? Well, I have an exam tomorrow. Well, it's normal to have butterflies, you know, and feel sick to your stomach and worry. But it's okay. If you don't do well, I still love you. Mm. And this is, this is another reason. Kids who, who, att who commit, attempt suicide and they live, every single one of them has said they did not feel loved, they did not feel wanted, they did not feel that anyone would even notice they were gone. And I think because we have become so consumed with giving materialistic things to our kids and teenagers to show affection and love instead of getting down to the brass tacks of spending one-on-one -on -one time having a conversation and saying to them hey kiddo i am so proud of you you know you're the best thing that's happened to dad and i we love you so much we'd walk through the fires to help you that's what kids need to hear i mean Kids hate it, right? When if their mums come up and give them a hug and go, "Oh, you're so cute," they in France they may shrug you off and say, "Will you stop that, mum?" But guess what? Inside, they know that you love them and that you're there for them, and that's what kids need. It's you know, it, it's simple things, and I, I tell parents, why can't you make a date night with your kids? Why can't you say, you know, okay, we're going to, you know, with girls, we're going to go to the shopping mall and have a girls' day and have fun and get our nails done and get on that one-on-one -on -one level to talk with them and, and listen. Listen, and this is what parents are not doing. They're not listening to their kids, right? I don't feel good today. Why? I don't know. I just, my mood is really bad. What have you got to feel bad about? We just bought you this. You have that. Boop. You know, and it's like that doesn't fill the void and the pain of what else is going on. And I think parents need to really get back to having that one-on-one -on -one quality time with their kids so their kids will open up. Or if they're not ready to open up, will know that they have someone they can trust mm. who is there for them when times are bad. I mean, the school, the school counsellor, when I was given my um, human library, could not believe that 63 teenagers came and confided in me. She didn't even know half of them had, had something going on. And I said, because I, I walk the walk and talk the talk. I've been there. I've been in the rabbit hole. I've stared at suicide. I've been bullied. I get what they're going through. 
And it's not, I'm not a textbook doctor sitting there saying, well, I haven't been through anything, but I've studied it. And so this is how you feel. I, they don't want that. They want someone who can say, I bet the pain feels like this. This is what helped me. What do you think could help you and turn it? Because ultimately kids still want to be in control of their lives, right? And they want to have that responsibility, but they need that little bit of guidance to point them in the right direction. It's like giving them a roadmap and saying, there's two ways to go about it. Which way do you think will work best for you? And pulling on those strengths as they start to problem solve, not telling them this is the way you use and this is the way you go. And I don't care if you want to go that way. I'm telling you this way is the way. They're going to rebel. Yeah. I'll show you, you know, and so it's like help them. You got to, it's, it's nurture, right? It's, it's, it's nurture and nurture comes from everybody. It's not just, they always say nurture with mom. It's not, it's nurture with everybody, family, friends, neighbors, the people down the street. We've got to be way more supportive and understanding of kids instead of labeling them because when they're hurting, they turn around and say, you think I'm a yob and all I'm good for nothing. Well, then I'll show you I am because I'm screaming for help and no one's listening to me. Yeah, there's a lot to be said there. Um, I, I resonated with something you said there. I've been the dad that said, um, suck it up. Do you know what I mean? As as my, my eldest was youngest, and this is where this journey started for me, was wanting to improve my relationship with him because at the time it was very toxic. Um, and that was my bad. That was That's all on me. Um, and I wanted to understand how I could improve my communications with him. Um, but once, I mean, is, is there's dads out there that will be thinking, well, you know, they'll start to question their own responses and reactions to their children. Um, and then they'll start digging into things and they'll start to realize, oh, yeah, I, I, I say that. And, you know, but this is stuff we've had said to us, but that's no excuse, you know? Absolutely. And I think the, the challenge is, is that, again, as I said, it's, I try not to blame the parents because you learn what you were shown and taught. Mm. And if you didn't get um, the support and the direction you needed and you go into life, unless something happens to you or you meet someone that opens your eyes, you fall into the same patterns. And it's very difficult. Um, but also, I think there's a lot of men out there that are starting to become aware of what they're doing but in order for them to move forward, it means they have to deal with their history. And for some of them, again, there's that stigma of men being the strong guy. And right. I mean, and I know in Britain right now, I mean, men over the age of 40, suicide is epidemic proportions. Yeah. It is a huge crisis. And so, you know, I mean, we have men that are struggling and want to do the very best for their children but they don't have the tools to do that because they're hurting inside themselves. And as I said, it's, I mean, it starts with um, getting rid of the stigma of mental illness. I mean, it's that's your basic, like it is nothing to be ashamed of. It, it, it is part of normal life. I mean, so one in four adults in the UK 
has a mental illness, one in four. I actually think it's probably one in three or more because lots of people are still not really being honest and coming forward because they're dealing with demons, right? Their own past issues and culture has a lot to do with it as well and you know how you were brought up. But the, the sooner we can get rid of that, I think, and introduce the concept of mental wellness, mental health, and values and coping strategies into schools. And so we arm our young generation with those skills, then it's the snowball effect. We have to start somewhere. You know, we're helping people as they come forward, but if we start with them as soon as they go into preschool, and it continues right through until they end college, because what people are not realizing is your brain is not fully developed until you're in your 20s. For women, the, the frontal lobe, which is your behaviors and your filter of socially appropriate um, acts and behaviors and your executive functioning and your problem-solving skills and your risk-taking. In women, that's not fully developed until they're 20 to 22. In men, it's not fully developed until they're 24 to 27. Wow. And yet... And yet, at 27, you're working a job, you could be married and have your first child. And yet that frontal lobe is still not developed. And so, again, you know, you can see why, well, he's 23 and he left the baby home alone for an hour and he ran to the store. But again, that part of the brain, risk-taking, not understanding consequences and dangers, is not fully developed. So we're screaming at them, you shouldn't do that. It's common sense. But it's not because this hasn't formed. Yeah. And this is what people are not understanding. It's like, you. Oh, I, I know it's horrible to say it, but you should really change the definition of adulthood. Adulthood should begin when the brain is fully formed. Yeah. That is when you are a fully functioning, independent adult. But we're saying it's 18. And yet, women and men, that still isn't, you no. know? I no. mean, it it isn't developed yet. And I think the more we start understanding and talking about that, I think the better able people are going to recognize some things and understand how childhood experiences and abuse and trauma shape us and maybe they're more willing then to talk about their experiences and get help um, because it is, we know for sure, stigma is holding so many people back and social media with that is not our friend because how many people are then bullied or intimidated online if they share their stories? I mean, I've had hate mail on some of my posts on LinkedIn from men who've told me that it's really none of my business and what I need is a good slap and I need to get back into the kitchen and put on an apron where I belong. I got messages like that, yeah. you know? They're out there, they're you know, you're not going to stop those types of people. Right, and you're always going to meet those. Hmm. But it's like, you know, for any parents or grandparents, aunt, uncles, anyone out there that is you know, listening to this, take time out and spend a little bit of quality time with your kid. Even if it's going fishing, going to kick the ball around, going for an hour somewhere for a treat and try and 
identify and talk to them on their level. And talking means listening to what's being said and what's not being said. Yeah, yeah. And look at and looking at their body language. I mean, the eyes say speak volumes and when you ask a question and their eyes go down, you've hit a nerve. That is something. And it's not prying and this is it. It's not, you know, you can tell me anything. No, no, no. It's almost like we have to change our the way we talk and say things like you don't seem yourself lately. I, I'm I'm concerned. Is everything okay in school? You know, um, have you had a, you know had you have a falling out with your boyfriend or a friend? It's it, you got to do a little bit of detective work, but without making them feel foolish and silly. And whatever response they come back with, you even if inside you're going O M G. You've got to bite your tongue and go, that sounds really difficult. How can I help you? Because as soon as you label it and say, oh, that's silly. Well, you shouldn't be feeling like that. Oh, forget about them. Then that kid automatically goes, okay, I'm never going to confide in them again. They don't get it. They don't understand me. Right? Right? And you've lost them. And it... I know everyone is stressed and working so hard and wants the best, but I think right now um, suicide's in an epidemic proportion. I mean, the stats in Britain are, oh God, it's like every single day you hear of someone else, a young adult or a child or a teenager has committed suicide. Um, here in Canada, it's the same. In the States, it's like 16 teenagers every single day in the States. Every single day. 16 families lose their, their child. You know, and that, that kind of death is, is a different death because the grieving process is filled with so much guilt and questions and second guessing and it's a deep, deep loss. And, and so, it, you know, it's it's reach out to your kids. And even if you find out that they're putting up a brick wall right now, because we get teenagers as well, right? I mean, but you at least got to let them know that you care and that they are so important to you. Because if they don't hear those words, when all these nasty, negative, overwhelming thoughts start percolating and they just run rampant, they're like a virus, they'll remember, oh, well, mom's never said she loves me or how important I am. So, yeah, they wouldn't even miss me. Yeah, well, I may as well do it, you know, and that's so sad. No, it is indeed. It is. It's uh, it's plenty of food for thought so far. Uh Especially if there's any anyone out there that, like you just said, is 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 wondering how they can improve their relationships. Um, what I found helped me massively. Um, I I actually joined a mastermind to try and improve my my father and ability. Um, and and the, one of the biggest takeaways, and I say this on most podcasts, is uh, E plus R equals O. So it's the event plus the response equals the outcome. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So this is where I go with my son and, I, and I've gone from being the one that turns into the Hulk and rages and rants and raves for the one that can enter any conversation, no matter how escalated and bring it down to a level where we, where we can talk. That's the only reason I can do that is because I go to the end result is what I want first. And which yeah. is, I want everybody to be able to talk. Let's talk this through. You don't have to shout it through, you know? Absolutely. And as I said, you know, as a parent, um, it's, it's a hard, hard job. And again, no one ever sat you down and gave you parenting 101. I mean, you learn as you go along, right? And you look at your family and role models, and some may not be the best influence. And you may also think, I, well, I don't want to turn out like you, but we're not shown how to do that and given the support and the skills to help us in that direction. Um, but no, certainly I think shouting has no outcome. No. It's just a mass of loud, crazy words, some that are, it's such pure emotion that words hurt. Mm. And words go there. And, they, and in my book, I say they're like acid etched on the brain. Yeah. And words will just stay forever. The bruises from a hit, I mean, that's still a traumatic event, but they fade. But what you carry with you in your brain, um, oh boy. And so it's, yeah, you know, the, the suck it up. It's like, no, it's, you know, and, and, and again, but that is normal. I've seen it all the time, right? And it's a case of, you know, you have to. It's, it's going over and sitting down and talking, you know, with your child about, okay, what's going on here? You know, why are you so, you know, you, why won't you do it? Or why does it hurt so much? Or, you know, let me help you. What can we do to figure this out? And the tears and the pain and the frustration stop automatically because now you're listening and you've got to be on their level. You, when you're talking to kids, you've got to be on their level. You cannot be standing over them no. because you're dictatorial. As soon as that. And so I say, you know, why can't you sit down on the floor with your kids? Why can't you lie and put your hands on your face and talk to them? You know, and even share a story. Gee, when I was a kid, um, I remember I had this game and you wouldn't believe what I did to grandpa one day. Kids love that because it shows that you were a kid and you were human. You don't want the, when I was a kid, I walked five miles to school in no shoes, in the snow, and all I had was an apple, right? Yeah. All right, yeah. and it's like, okay. Well, now I'm going to school, and I've got a full lunch, but as soon as I walk into the schoolyard, five bullies pick on me, and they terrorize me for the rest of the day. Yeah. And I'm so fearful, I hide in the toilets at recess or break time because I don't want to see them, Right. And so parents are not realizing all kids have stories about school. You're not listening to them about what their school day could, could be like because mental illness, bullying kind of go hand in hand, right? Kids who bully likely have some kind of traumatic event or a mental illness that may not be treated or identified. Kids who are being bullied are bullied because they have a mental illness because maybe 
they have obsessive compulsive disorder, right? And the other kids have picked up on it, so they tease them. I mean, or they may be overweight or they may have a crooked nose. Kids are mean. They're mean. And again, they don't understand the consequences. And so they pick on someone that maybe is overweight. That if that child hasn't got an outlet to report it and have someone who's responsive and supports them, that will develop into a mental illness because that's, they start believing the words the bully is telling them. Mm-hmm. And that's when, right, the self-harm can begin. And the eating disorders or the depression or the anxiety, they all go hand in hand. And, you know, going home and saying, Dad, five, five boys bullying me. Suck it up. Mm-hmm. Suck it up. You know, well, Show me how to suck it up then. What do you think I should do? If you then say with them, okay, son, well, remember, they're in more pain than you are. And so, you know, maybe come back with them with a, with a reply of, you must be having a real difficult day. When you come back at a bully, it knocks them off their podium, right? They want to see you run and cry and fall. Or if you just look at them and say, okay, you have a good day and walk away. You're the better person. You've deflated them. If you tell them and show them little strategies that would work, and then when they get home, say, so how was it today? Did he pick on you again? Yes. And what did you say? I said this, Dad. And how did it make you feel? Well, actually, I felt really good. Then you know that's working. right? And they build on that. But just saying to them, suck it up or punch them in the face, okay, you ain't going to get anywhere. No. It's, uh, it takes a certain type of person to do that. I mean, I, my dad was old school, and he was a, he was a boxer. He'd had a harder brain, so his, his way was to fight because he was only a, a bit of a runt mm-hmm. anyway, you know. So that was – invariably, if I had any problems, that was his answer. Um, but it, it wasn't in me to do it. I wasn't that type of person, so – I, I dealt with the fat jibes by uh, self-depreciated humor, um, which to a degree got me through comp. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what I didn't expect then was to be going through it in work and everything else. But obviously I kept, you know, I, I was, was big. I've only lost the weight the last three, four years when I've had this shift in mindset as well. So you're right. You start to, you start to believe and then you start to become what you believe. <laughs> yeah. And and then you carry it through you. Even though you think it's in the past and you've moved on, it's it's buried there deep and it will come out at some and it will. And I mean that's this this is why we're seeing such um like an epidemic of of mental illness and of gun violence, especially you know in the States and and drugs you know, an addiction, because if you're in pain and you're not understanding what's going on, how do you deal with the pain? Well, you turn to addictions. Addictions are alcohol or cigarettes or food or risky behaviors or drugs. And, you know, it's like everyone is trying to find happiness because society tells us you must be happy. The 10 secrets to happiness. Ten things happy people do every day. 
you know, it's like, no, you've got to give permission to people that guess what? You are entitled to get up one morning and say, I feel like crap. Mm. I just don't want to be a people person today. You know, and it's like you should have permission to do that because we can't be up all the time. It's impossible. The brain is not geared for that. The brain needs to feel human emotions. Why, when you go to movies, do you cry at a sad movie, right? There's all these emotions that the brain has that we need to use to be well-adjusted and centered people, and we need to start recognizing okay why was i so angry why am i so depressed and sad today wow i had a really good day yesterday what happened in my day that i felt really good about myself and that's how you become more mindful and be present in the moment and it's not all this guru kind of stuff it took me a long time in the rabbit hole to get to that point because that's the only way I could escape is that you, you know, you, you have to learn that happiness is not materialistic things. Happiness is simple things in the moment. Happiness is always there. It's just a decision to see it. Right. Right. <laughs> and, and it's how you see your world. And it's making that conscious switch all the time of, you know, well, that guy cut me off in traffic. Really? And so what? <laughs> He does not know you, right? You yeah. do not know what's going on in his life. Why are you allowing that to consume you? Really, when, and this, you know, I always say, there's two things I say to people. I mean, 36 years as a nurse, I've seen so much death and heartache and horrors. One life is too short, right? And so it's why are you so consumed with the minuscule, Silly little things that you can't change. And if you could change, would they actually make your life better? Really? Would they? Um, and if you if you were told you had 24 hours left to live, what would you want to do? Right? Would you want to go and find the guy that cut you off three years ago and give, right? And tell him what it, what for? No, because that's meaningless. And for parents, I say, you know, so what if you walked into your son's bedroom tomorrow and he was dead because he, he killed himself? How would you feel? And it's a horrible thought, but it's, well, he'd never do that. No, he may not, but are you 100% sure? Maybe today, before you go to bed, you need to just take five minutes out of your, whatever you've got going on and go and visit with your child and just say, hey, I know, I know I haven't said this lately and I'm so busy because I'm, but you know, you do know how much we love you, how important you are. And even if your kid rebukes you and says, oh, get out of here. Stop saying that. Why are you getting all weird on me? It doesn't matter. You've said it and you've sent them a message because you don't know what's going on in your kid's head. How many parents have said I didn't see it coming? Right. Yeah. And and when you start tracking back, the signs were there, but you really weren't paying attention to the cues. And you can't go and blame parents at that point because their heartbreak is so bad. And so you you say to parents with kids, 
you have to be comfortable that you expressed how important and how awesome your kids are. And one minute of going up and saying to them, you know what, I know we have, we have arguments all the time and your hair just drives me crazy and I hate the way you dress, but i got to tell you, I wouldn't trade you in for anyone. I love you to bits and I'd, and I'd walk through hell for you. That's what a kid needs to hear, right? And if you say that, if they were thinking of doing something, it's going to make them rethink because you just said, guess what? You drive me crazy sometimes, but my God, I love you to bits. Right? It, it's something simple, and it's those little words that can help someone. I, I made a post on LinkedIn three months ago on a Saturday night, and it was just, if you're thinking of ending your life tonight, this is a message not to. And I just posted it. No hashtags. No um, tagging people. And within an hour, I got a message from a girl in Toronto who said, oh, my God, I just saw your message, and I was about to do it. Oh, it wow. was it was a sign, right? <laughs> she got an angel's watching over her. <laughs> right? It was a sign. And, you know, we don't always have signs, but if, if you're, if, you know, if you are horrified by the thought that you could lose your child to suicide and your life would be over, then today, after you've listened to the podcast, why can't you just turn off the TV and just go in there and with, have one-on-one -on -one private time? And it could be anywhere. They could be brushing their hair or putting on their shoes to go out and see a friend or going upstairs to do their homework. Just go and say, you know what? Hey, kiddo, I know I don't tell you it enough, but boy, we are proud of you. We love you to bits. We're here for you. That's what they need to hear. They do. You know, and even if they weren't thinking of doing anything, that has meant more to them because every kid goes through something. Every kid does. It's part of growing up, right? We're trying to find ourselves. Yeah. And it just makes them feel like they have someone who cares for them and will be there for them when the going gets tough. And we all need that. It's, oh. a, it's, it's a human thing. We all need that sense of knowing that we have a connection and that someone out there somewhere in the world loves us and wants us to be part of their life. Thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. My name is Joel Ingram, and I am a certified NLP coach. I help passionate, resourceful, and professional people who feel stuck and unfulfilled with aspects of life to rewrite their narrative and chronicle a new, engaging, and captivating future. Please subscribe if you found benefit.